Hello, and welcome to the Tent Podcast, that is to say, Thriving in Technology. Your hosts are Sam Moulton and Cecilia Taylor, members of the Influence Marketing Team here at NetApp. Today, we're excited to have a special guest joining us today, Dana K. White, author, blogger, and fellow podcaster. Dana didn't know much about technology when she got started, but she leveraged it to start a business that now has a very successful enterprise. What's her business all about? A topic that hits home for many, if not all of us. Reality-based cleaning and organizing for people who don't like cleaning and org. Today, we're going to talk about how Dana got started and why, and we'll cover some of the basic principles she's established to keep her own home under control. Welcome to the Tent Podcast, Dana. Thanks for having me on. Well, I myself am a regular listener of your podcasts, and I cannot tell you how excited I am to have, I mean, I consider you to be like a famous person on our little podcast. So that is just super cool. Um, I, um, I, I can't remember exactly how I found you. I think I was looking for something about organizing or, you know, clutter, the banes of my existence. And I found your podcast, A Slob Comes Clean. And I've got to say that intrigued me. It was also one of the most unusual titles I've ever come across for a podcast. And I started listening and that's, this was back in the days when you were not even sharing who you were. Or I, actually, I'm not, I'm going to take that back because by the time I started listening, no, when I started listening to the podcast, which was at the very beginning, were you already, oh, I'm going to let you answer that question later when you tell us how, how you got started. But I'm not, now I'm confused as to whether or not you were using your name when I started listening to the podcast or if that came a little bit later, but that's part of your story. So I'll let you tell it. But you have had, your work has had a huge impact on me. I don't want to get into all this, all of the specifics, but because I want you to do that. So can you tell our listeners first where we can find you on social media and provide the URL for your blog? So I am at aslobcomesclean.com. And basically you can go there and find all of the different places where I am online. But I'm also... A Slob Comes Clean on Facebook, Instagram. That's the name of the podcast as well. So yeah, that's basically me everywhere. I think Pinterest is a little bit different because for some reason, Pinterest said I couldn't have A Slob Comes Clean as my name and I don't know why. So anyway, but other than that, which I, I pay someone to do my Pinterest, so I that's not my place to find me anyway, really. But. Not to find the real yeah. you. Yes, right, right. So it's the real me everywhere else. But All right. So I've listened to almost 200 of 200 episodes of your podcast. I have another 20 to go as of today. And of course, you add to that every week. So <laughs> eventually, I'm going to catch up. And then when I do catch up, I'm going to go right back to the beginning and start listening all over again. I have learned so much and there is so much to cover. But let's begin with the genesis of the blog. How and why did you start it? And what was your plan? So I... I wanted to be a writer. I mean, that that was a creative outlet that um, I had enjoyed, you know, at different times in my life. And when I had, I, I was a theater teacher before I had kids. But when I had kids, I really wanted to be a stay-at-home mom, but looking for a creative outlet and also thinking ahead to what kind of a career as a creative would work well with being home with my kids. Writing seemed like the thing to do, but I didn't really do anything about it because when they were little, this was in the you know early 2000s, I thought I have no idea how to go about doing that. And so it wasn't until about 08, I think, when I discovered blogs as they kind of started to become a thing, realized that 
that was a way that people were writing, you know, actually like turning it into something where they made an income from it and they were able to reach people, people were reading it. So when I discovered blogs, I realized that's what I needed to do. Had no intention of having a blog about cleaning and organizing because (laughs) that was the thing that I felt completely inept at. So like that was never even part of the, the idea, except that I didn't start the blog because I felt like I needed to get my house under control first. So through a lot of trying even more now than I always had and failing again and again and again, I finally came to the point where I looked at, I wanted to start the blog, came to a point where I decided to do a practice blog about getting my house under control so that then I could go ahead and learn about blogging this thing I was desperate to do while also staying focused on my house. So it's kind of like a win-win situation, but it was never meant to be the thing I was going to blog about. You know, it was only temporary and it was also a fake name and all that kind of stuff. So you mentioned before, had I revealed myself? I had by the time I started my podcast. Okay. But, okay. Um, I, I just, yeah. I, I was trying to remember how, what happened first. Yeah. Right. But I probably not to my people in real life. You know, I had as far as like sharing my actual name, but that was a long process. It was about three years before I let anybody know my actual name because this was my deep, dark secret and it was only supposed to be temporary anyway. So it wasn't going to matter. But I didn't want anyone to actually trace these embarrassing confessions and photos back to me. (laughs) So over time, obviously, it's 10 years later like 10 years. Yes. Happy anniversary. I read your blog post this morning and I was, I was really kind of surprised it was 10 years. Yes. I, you know, because for me, I've only been listening for what a year and a half or so. So 10 years. And that's just really impressive. So congratulations. Thank you. But, but, you know, obviously I'm still writing about the same thing and now it's evolved into other things. And, you know, it was a, it was a long process of realizing this was the thing I was going to write about that I, the main thing was realizing I had something of value to teach others. Like, because it was the thing that I felt so inept at, I never thought anyone would want to or should take advice from me on this subject. So it was a process of me realizing, oh, okay, the things that I'm learning are the things that are not typically taught by people who talk about cleaning and organizing, because they're the things that they can't even imagine someone is struggling with, you know, because it's the starting point. They think a starting point is here where my starting point was way back from that. So that's where I come in and that's where the value that I provided. And I was a teacher, you know, and I'm a writer. And so explaining things and teaching things, that is my gift. So I'm able to, you know, teach, you know, where do you go from when you are at a completely overwhelmed starting point? And you teach very well. Well, when Sam told me that we had to get you on tent, I started listening to your podcasts. And one of the many things I find interesting is what you call the project brain. I know the concept was an eye-opener for Sam, and it resonates with me as well. But what do you mean by project brain? And how does it impact those of us who have one? (laughs) Well, so when I started the blog, like I said, I had no intention of being somebody that other people turn to for advice. So I was really just trying to figure out what am I doing in my home? What am I not doing in my home? What's causing these problems? And so out of complete desperation, I literally started as small as I possibly could. Because I had tried many times 
times before and failed with these big ideas of this is what I'm going to do. And I just started with saying, I know that people whose homes are always under control never have a disastrous kitchen. So I'm just going to focus on the kitchen, but even smaller than that, I'm just going to focus on doing the dishes every day. And so I, I started just saying, if I do nothing else, I'm going to do that. And then that started to feel more natural. And I started to add different daily habits and just focusing as small as I could on these daily things. And as I did that, I was shocked that my house was in better shape than it had ever been in before. And I, over time, realized I have a project brain, meaning I love to tackle a project. I was a theater arts teacher, so I love to put on a play. I love the whole process of, you know, that kind of organizing is my thing. It's like my wheelhouse. But I would try to, without realizing that's what I was doing, I tried to apply that way, that project way of doing things to my home, which meant that I was like, I'm going to come up with a plan. I'm going to work that plan from beginning to end, and then it's going to be perfect. And, you know, in a play, you get to sit back and enjoy the applause. That never happens in your house. (laughs) I mean, it's just not reality. Mm -hmm. So because I would treat my home that way, what I was really doing was waiting and until I had time to clean it from top to bottom, and mm-hmm. then I would clean it from top to bottom, I would wear myself out completely. And as I had children added into that mix, I realized, you know, it's not possible to set aside that amount of time to clean your house from top to bottom. And that meant I put it off longer, which meant it got worse and worse, which meant I put it off even longer. And it got, you know, it was just this, this cycle no, of well. waiting mm-hmm. until I could do it from top to bottom because I didn't see the purpose in any kind of maintaining or any kind of little piddly things when my house was a disaster. It it was like, if I could get it perfect, then I'll maintain it, but I never got it perfect. So I never maintained it. So just focusing on these daily habits, which are the complete opposite of project brain. I mean, it just didn't seem like it had a point to me in theory, but when I did it in reality, my house was way better off than it had ever been before. So it was realizing my house is not a project. I'm really good at projects, but my house is not a project. It just isn't. And if I treat it that way, I'm actually causing more harm than good because it's just getting worse and worse and worse until I have the time to get it under control, which I never did. But on the flip side, you've used your project brain to help you do certain things in your home because you like to see a start and a finish. So on Mondays, you do what? laundry. So the thing is, I had to realize that my brain works differently from the brains of naturally organized people. And that is not a bad thing. I mean, the world needs all the different kinds of brains. I mean, that's how the world functions and runs. We need people with project brains. But I had to see where it was causing harm. But then I also look for times where I can use my superpower of a project brain and use it well. So laundry is a great example of that. So I tried the one load a day method, which is what all of the housekeeping experts will tell you to do. And it, I failed again and again and again, you know, so in the beginning I was trying, you know, adding a new task every week, something I would try to figure out and laundry was week after week after week. Cause well, that didn't work. Okay. Well that didn't work. I mean, I tried everything from like putting something in front of my bedroom door that I would run into so that I would remember to do laundry and it still didn't work. And the problem was I would start it 
when I was kind of in the zone, but then the day would get going and I would never change it over. And then that load would start to smell a little bit funny. And so I would have to wash it again the next day. And then again and again and again. Right. And so it, it never worked for me as hard as I tried. And so I went to doing what basically women have done for most of history. (laughs) I mean, really, if you think about it, laundry day was always a thing. You know, when you read Little House on the Prairie and stuff like that, laundry day was a thing. And so I thought, I'm going to give this a shot. And I realized it works really well for my project brain because what I do is I do one week's worth of laundry all in one day, which a lot of people will say, oh, that's how, but it works for me because I'm able to stay focused because that is my focus for the day. Now, the great thing about laundry is I'm not doing laundry all day because it takes an hour for the the load to go through the washing machine, you know, so I get other stuff done. And yet it's the thing I go back to again and again, even when I have a day where I'm not home, you know, I, I do work from home. And so I'm able to do that. But even when I'm not home, I still am like, well, but Monday is my laundry day. So since I'm not going to be home, I'm going to try to get two loads done on Sunday night. And then I can get two loads done when I get home that night. And, you know, whatever extra loads I need to do, it, it just, it's amazing how it does work. And people resist it and resist it and resist it, just like I thought it would be overwhelming. But when people give Laundry Day a try, if they have the same type of project brain that I do, I hear again and again, oh my word, it's changed my life. You know, because it's not a nagging thing all the time. I'm able to have a beginning and an end and then six days of the week, I don't have to think about laundry. Now, the key thing I always try to tell people is to realize if you are behind on laundry, you're not going to experience the beauty of laundry day until the third laundry day. Because the first laundry day, you're catching up. You're doing a month's worth of laundry or whatever. Um, and, And it may take you five days or six days, you know, to get through all of that laundry. But why I go out and I buy... Uh, extra packages of underwear. And Absolutely. For everyone in the household. And Absolutely. Cecilia is batting her eyes at me because she knows this. <laughs> so, so by that, but the key is to go ahead and do laundry day again. Even if you finish on Friday, go ahead and do it again on Monday or whatever day it is that you have chosen as your laundry day. Go ahead and do it on Monday even though you feel like I just finally finished, go ahead and do it. Because at that point, you know what a week's worth of laundry is. Because after you sorted all those loads the week before, anything newly dirtied was the next week's laundry day. You don't have to worry about it. Okay. You don't just keep adding it to those piles. And so that second laundry day, you finally realize, oh, this is a week's worth of laundry. I didn't know what a week's worth of laundry was because I was always behind on laundry and I was doing emergency loads and buying extra. Like you just said, especially as a garage sailor, I would be like, oh, well, I can run to this place and buy my kid a whole new wardrobe. And because we're always running out when in reality we had way too much. So it just Mm -hmm. is this thing. But then that third laundry day is when you did your week's worth of laundry the Monday before And then you haven't had to worry about it for an entire week. And everybody's had all the clean underwear they needed and all the clean socks that they needed and all the clean clothes for school. Which is such a relief, right? And when you haven't lived that way, you don't even realize how much it's been weighing on you. Mm -hmm. Not feel completely confident that when you open up that drawer, there's going to be clean socks and clean underwear. You know, I mean, again, that demonstrates how I'm... I'm the person coming from the completely overwhelmed. This is something that a lot of organized people are like, really? People live that way? Yes, a lot of people do. 
<laughs> well, if people are, uh, the people that are listening to your podcast, I do not think are wondering what that's all about because, right, uh, right. And, and, you know, I am a patron of the podcast Yay. and so I have access to the special group on Facebook and it's very clear to me that we are kindred spirits, that people like us have these challenges and will continue to have them. But, you know, you just shed some really important, shed some really important light. That doesn't really make any sense, but you know, you have just shown me what has been happening in my brain for years, probably since forever. But I know for me, having kids really just put me right over the edge in terms of being able to keep up with things like, like laundry. So I think project brain is closely related to one of my favorite words or acronyms, TPAD. <laughs> a condition you and I both suffer from. Having a label or a name for it has really helped me understand my struggles with time. Can you explain what it is and why it's such a challenge for you, me, and so many others? Yes. So what you're talking about is TPAD. And that is an acronym that I think a reader actually shortened it to being an acronym after I had referred to it multiple times. And oh. that is, yeah, I love it. Like I love, that's the thing I love about blogging is just kind of that interactive thing, but I call it TPAD now too. And all of my people know what it means. And it stands for time passage awareness disorder, <laughs> which is totally made up by me, but it's totally real. Like it is it's this, so real. So it's real. This lack of real understanding of how, how long something's going to take, whether, oh, well, that's going to take me five hours to do. So I don't have five hours right now. And so I put off doing it or whether I think, oh, that'll take me two minutes, not realizing it's actually an hour project. And then I jump into it and pull everything out and cause myself more problems. You know, so it, it's this lack of understanding. And it's something that I have had to come up with a lot of different ways in different situations to combat. You know, I, I really work hard to when I acknowledge that I have TPAD made up by me, but I really do have it. Um, when I acknowledge I have that, then I'm looking for ways to combat that. And I'm also looking at situations going, wait a minute, my perception of this may not be correct. Let me, you know, do something to, to keep that from causing me harm and not, not tackling this situation. Now you have do a fantastic job of when you're writing a book, you map it out to precisely to the number of words and you try to get ahead. And then that has impressed me so much. I actually turned something in early this week. Like I turned it in a day early and that doesn't usually happen to me. <laughs> um, me of course I missed another deadline, but you know, I'm, I'm not going to get into all that, but let's celebrate I, the positive. <laughs> yes, that's right. That's right. And it was like, it was felt so good. And I love hearing when you're, yeah. So I was, I was ahead by so many words. And so I went, I was able to rest or I was able to take a break or I was able to watch a movie with my family, but I struggle with the same thing where I am chronically late and my husband is very punctual. And so it is as, as hard as I try, and I think I've got it all mapped out, man, I, I miss it by, it could be as little as five minutes, but that's still, is a, that's still a disappointment for me. But more often than not, it's 30 minutes. It's an ongoing challenge, but now that I'm aware of it, like you said, I will sometimes ask somebody, how, do you, how long do you think this will take? Just so that I get a, a reading on it. And so if I'm like, if I'm thinking something's going to take an hour and they say, no, you don't understand, that's going to take three hours. I'm like, oh, okay, very good. I'm glad I, I'm glad I asked about it. 
Yeah. Yeah. And my, my main advice on that, the best thing to do is to time yourself doing certain tasks that you do all the time. Um, you know, the best example I have is emptying your dishwasher. That's something Mm -hmm. that I hate doing. Everybody hates. I mean, I'm sure there are people who like it, but most people will say that's the thing that drives them crazy or folding a load of laundry, you know, that kind of stuff that you think, Oh, that's my least favorite thing. It feels like forever. And why it's become my favorite thing. Because I'm listening to your podcast. When I'm <laughs> well, good. <laughs> but when you when you tell yourself this thing, it, when you feel like it takes forever, you put it off because you think, well, that takes forever. I don't have time right now. But instead, to time that task for me, realizing that emptying my dishwasher takes like four minutes, and when I realize that takes four minutes, folding a load of laundry takes me about eight minutes. Yeah. I would never have thought that it only took that amount of time. I would have thought that it took me, you know, 30 minutes or something. And so when I'm realistic about those things, because I can't argue with the timer, it shocks me, but then that helps me in the future to realize, oh, I've got four minutes right now. I actually can do this task, or I don't feel like doing that right now. I'm ready to put it off and procrastinate. But then I go, well, I actually do have four minutes. So it changes that. Yeah. I actually hung an old kind of an old fashioned clock up in mm-hmm. next to my washer and dryer and it has a timer on it. So oh, I, yeah, it's sort of like one of my little tools, eight minutes, man, I've never made eight minutes, but I'm trying to, I'm trying to cut it, cut it back a little bit and maybe not be quite such an, a perfectionist as I'm folding laundry, which I'm going to, I'm going to fold that same shirt over and over and over again. So it doesn't need to be perfect. Well, uh, if you've so seen that, my videos, you know that I am a horrible folder and I don't actually care. <laughs> I know. I love when you say, and you know what? I don't care. Other people probably care about that, but I don't care. And I'm like, oh, she's enlightened. She's just like liberated. Oh, that's wonderful. That's one way to look at it. Enlightened. (laughs) I'm sure other people don't look at it that way. (laughs) So Cecilia, I saw you raise your hand and what was it around the, the folding thing? Uh, I, I often feel as though folding takes forever and you're right. It doesn't take nearly as long as I think that it does, but it's something I also dread. Something else that got me thinking is what you refer to as the container concept, Mm -hmm. uh, which goes along the line with the one in, one out rule. When I think of a container, I think of the container store (laughs) and I love the container store. I love all stores. I really love the container store. Tell us what you mean by a container and why this approach to helps with things like clutter thresholds. See how I did that? I threw a You did. You worked in several of my terms in one question. (laughs) I love it. Um, So the container store, I used to love it too. And I do still love to go, but I go much more realistically than I used to. Like it used to be kind of like fantasy land, aspirational, like, oh, this is it. This would solve all my problems, (laughs) but I couldn't afford to solve all my problems. And so I didn't solve all my problems. You know, my reality is that I came to a point well, I was so desperate when I first started. My house was such a disaster that I thought I, I'm past the point. I can't even think about getting organized. I just need to declutter. I thought that was a failure. I really did. Like I thought that's how bad I am that I'm just going to, I can't even get organized. I just need to declutter. Not realizing that clutter was actually the problem, that it was not an issue of me not having found an organizing method that worked. No organizing method was going to work for me personally because of how much stuff I had in my house. There was no way. And so 
you mentioned clutter threshold, which is everyone has one and it has nothing to do with how much stuff you can stand having around. That's what people automatically assume that I mean by that is they think, oh yeah, so-and-so lives above my clutter threshold. Yeah, no, yeah, every clutter threshold is personal. It doesn't mean that you walk into somebody's house and you don't like how much stuff they have. It means how much stuff can you personally keep under control easily. You know, I would have people come in, my mother, especially who has a very high clutter threshold, she would come in and she would organize for me and she would put in systems and they were great systems, the kind of systems you see at the container store. But I couldn't maintain those systems because there was simply too much stuff. You know, one example that I give is one of my weird tips that nobody else ever gives, but I do is to store your, your food storage containers with their lids on. And a lot of people think that's weird because you can't fit as many in to the space. But I'm like, well, the whole point is that I thought I needed to have this amazing system of stack these here, put the lids in this special little thing here so that I could keep them all under control when the reality was my personality is one to go, oh, I need something to put the spaghetti in and I grab it. And if they're all stacked up and I've got to match a lid to it, I end up pulling everything out. And then I don't even notice that everything is now in this big jumble and I don't automatically go put it back where my mother, her natural thing is to go in there, pull it out and make sure it's back to be neat before she actually goes and puts the spaghetti in the thing. You know what I mean? So for me, storing it with the lids on, yes, I can keep less stuff, but I don't need more stuff. I need to have less stuff because the system with less stuff in it is the system I can actually maintain. So I pull something out and it doesn't cause an avalanche. It just, or what my friend calls a crapalanche, which, but I don't know if y'all say that on your podcast, but anyway. <laughs> we can say crapalanche. Yeah. I okay. We can. All right. But you know, that's a system I can maintain that's under my clutter threshold. So, so many times it was simply that I just had too much stuff. And as I decluttered my house, I realized that, or I suddenly one day went, wait a minute, my house is so much easier to maintain. What I've always wanted from organizing, I was getting from just having less stuff in my house because I could find things more easily. I could see what I needed. I could get to it. It didn't cause a disaster after I got one thing out and then caused everything else to fall. You know, that kind of stuff. Um, I had met my own personal clutter threshold. So it's the amount of stuff that an individual person can personally keep under control easily. So where does a container come into that? Well, I thought containers were for putting things in. And so I would see the pictures or I would see my friend's house who had these containers and I would think the containers are the answer. And so I would get containers and bring maybe even exactly like the picture, exactly like my friend's house, bring it home. And my spaces looked nothing like their spaces. And over time, what I realized, and this is the very short version of what I can talk for a really long time about, <laughs> but I, it hit me that containers are meant to contain. It seems very obvious to me now, but I had never occurred to me before. And when I say that, what I mean is containers are limits. The size of the container is meant to limit how much stuff I keep where before I would fill a container and then I would have all this stuff still left over that didn't fit in the container. So I would go buy another container and then another container and then all those containers wouldn't fit on my shelf. And so I would shove them in and that's where it didn't look anything like my friend's containers and you know, those same things on their shelf. And so when I realized, Oh, the container is meant to limit how much, then if I have a thousand crayons and a red bucket, like my friend has, I put my favorite ones in the bucket first. And then once the bucket is full, 
then there's something that clicks in my brain who sees the value in every single one of those thousand crayons because broken crayons still color, but it's not a question of value. It's a question of space. And so I've put my favorite 300 in there first, and then I am freed to let the other ones go without having to say, oh, wait, does this half of a gold crayon, is it worth me keeping? You know, is there something I could do with it? Could I use this eventually? Oh, I can go down that line of question. No, just say no, just say no. <laughs> but, but it was hard for me to just say no, because then that felt like this. But when I was able to blame the container and say, no, this is the size of the container. That's how many I can keep. And the size of my shelf determines how many Cookbook. buckets full of crayons I can keep without it getting out of control. And then the size of the room determines how many shelves I can have and the size of my house determine, you know, so I started to realize that every space in my home is a container. And that's where the container concept comes in is it's not a matter. I mean, you can keep whatever you want to keep. You just can't keep it all. And I was trying to keep it all because I was assessing each item for what I might do with it someday or what kind of value it had. And instead it's, what space do I have to keep things in to a point where I can actually keep it under control? So my sock drawer is a container. That's how many socks I can have. Instead of doing the math of trying to figure out how many cold days and how many warm days and blah, blah, blah in the year, which is where my brain used to go. I say, well, my sock drawer is this size. So I can keep as many socks as will fit inside this drawer and I can still close it, which is where the one in one out rule comes in. If I get a new pair of socks, it's not an issue of finding a whole new organizing system to accommodate these new socks. Instead, it's this is the space I have available for socks and my house still stay under control. So what pair of socks do I like the least? And I'll get rid of those to make space for the new one. So it's, it's a whole line of thinking that just does not come naturally to me and does come so naturally to many or naturally organized people that they didn't know this needed to be explained. You know, so that's one of the things that I hear from professional organizers a lot is, you know, I didn't know that we weren't speaking the same language, you know, that they weren't speaking the same language with their client when they were looking at containers and they were seeing them as being completely different tools, you know, so the container store is now different to me in that I hope in some ways, I assume, I don't know, cause I'm not naturally organized, but I assume maybe I look at it a little more like a naturally organized person does, which is I have a certain problem. Let me go in there to find that solution for that certain problem, as opposed to let me go in there and, and assume that if I bought everything in this entire place, my house will be organized. Where in reality, if I would have bought everything in that place and brought it home, it would have been just more clutter because I wasn't using it correctly. Yeah. That, this has been huge for me because I do the same thing. I see value in everything. And, you know, I finally had to make a decision. Okay, Sam, now I think you only give your cookbooks one shelf, but I give mine too. I, but you know, now Which is it's fine. <laughs> it's because it's everybody's, you know, you may not have room for other things, but if cookbooks take up that space, that's great. But you can't keep all the cookbooks and all the pots and pans and all the everything. Yeah. Right. And so that has just been super helpful. The whole sock drawer thing, everything now I understand is not all those lovely plastic tubs, you know, the thin ones, the thick ones, the one with lids, those stuff, you know, I am definitely a container I don't really like to use the word hoarder, but I'm a little bit when it comes to containers. Yeah. You know, one, one quick story that kind of explains why I am, I feel like I'm perpetually over my clutter threshold. Well, before I had children, I was one of those really annoying people. I had 
a place for everything. Everything was in its place. Then I had kids. And by the time my oldest started doing travel soccer, I just completely lost my grip. I mean, when you have kids, the amount of stuff they bring into the to the house, you know, you're thinking, I gotta save this for the the, the next kid. And then it just it just it's like a, a big ball of stuff. And so I really just wasn't able to, you know, to get a grip on it. And everything that you're teaching me is is helping me get back there. I mean, I'm I'm never gonna be, I don't, I don't foresee myself ever being that person, everything is completely organized all the time because I'm going to have to declutter again and again because I am a reclutterer. Clear a spot, it looks wonderful. Like my dining room table, for instance. Mm-hmm. How many times have I cleared off my dining room table? And it's not its not generally me putting stuff on that do- dining room table. When you have a family, you have to keep doing it. But I took my grandkids out to do uh, some trash picking up, some roadside trash picking up or Earth Day. I love doing that with them. And I think, uh, in fact, this 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 brain that I have, it's it's a hereditary thing because here we are, we're walking along and my my youngest grandson, he sees a bottle cap. He picks it up and he goes, oh, Grammy, Grammy, Sammy, we can do something with this. And I'm like, no, no. And that's why I was kind of I was kind of interjecting with the nose. That whole crayon thing, man, I I love all those sort of writing instruments and crafty things. And I save all sorts of stuff that I'm going to do something with someday. And I'm just learning to say, no, Sam, you do not need a hundred um, paper towel rolls to make that thing that you're probably never going to make. Well, and, and the beautiful thing about the container concept is that it does work so well when you're trying to help someone else because he can keep bottle caps if he has the space for it. And so that's where the container concept, yeah, Mm -hmm. comes in is, you know, okay. I mean, it's, you know how like that whole be a yes mom kind of thing. And you're like, yeah, but in reality, you can't be a yes mom all the time. It's just not, (laughs) that's just not how life works. But the container concept allows me to say that is awesome. That bottle cap is so cool looking and that absolutely could be something. Where are you going to put it? Okay. Mm -hmm. So here we go. You have a drawer to put that in and here is the little butter tub or whatever it is. And this is your thing for stuff that you've collected to do something with later. And, you know, let's say they have a humongous room. It might be bigger than a butter tub, but whatever it is, according to the space that you have, fill that up. Yes. Put it in there. That's awesome but it's a contained space. And so it becomes something where if they find 50, because that's the problem with people like us who have that creative mindset and think, Oh, I could do something. We find one bottle cap and we think that's really cool. And then I start looking for every bottle cap on the side of the road and I end up with a thousand bottle caps and that's where the problem comes in. So then I say, absolutely. You can keep that. This is the space for it. Put it in there. And then he comes home with a thousand bottle caps and you say, Oh yeah, great. This is your space for bottle caps. So pick your favorite ones until it's full. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. so, and so it works really well with children and husbands. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Throw that one in there. (laughs) It's true though. I mean, it, it, because it, it makes, I don't have to be the person saying you're wrong. Mm -hmm. Instead Mm -hmm. I say, this is the space that's available. It's not me. It's the container. You know, I'm not the one telling you that and and let them fill it with what they want to fill it with first, unless it's 
something that rots or breathes or whatever, but, you know, um, but, but that's, you know, that, that's the beauty of the container where I personally needed that non-personal boundary where I didn't have to feel bad toward the bottle caps or the crayons that I wasn't choosing. It takes that non-personal thing and allows me to use that in a relationship with someone else with whom I have some sort of authority to make them limit how much stuff they have. Yeah. Oh man. I feel like now I, I failed a little bit. I, I, I didn't, I didn't apply the container concept properly in that instance, but now I will, and this is what you do for me is you help me think differently. And I just can't tell you how, how much it is, has changed. Now we can spend hours going over all the the cool things that I have learned that you teach people, but you know, at some point, you know, we've got to call it a, call it a day here, but what's your advice? You've written a couple of books now. You've got 218 podcasts. How, how do you, how do you get somebody started who's feeling overwhelmed because their clutter threshold is completely maxed out? What's the first step they should take? So you mentioned the two different books and I often get the question, especially when I speak, somebody says, which book do I need? You know, or I get an email that says that if clutter is your thing, if you feel like, what are these people talking about with dishes and laundry? Who doesn't do their dishes and laundry? Well then, okay, fine. You know, that's not your problem. And maybe clutter is your number one issue. Then Mm -hmm. start with the decluttering, which the answer to that is grab a black trash bag and start throwing away trash. It needs to be black so the people in your house cannot see what you're putting inside of it. You know, (laughs) white trash bags, you can kind of see through them and people are going to go, wait, what's that in there? And I want to keep that. But you use that as a way to kind of break through what you're talking about, which is decluttering paralysis, that feeling of, oh my goodness, it's also overwhelming. And this may be on your whole house or it might be on one individual space. Everybody, I'm told, even organized people have that space, you know, Monica's closet from friends, you know, they have that space that's overwhelming to them. So, you know, just start with the throwing away trash and that will get you going and then just move on to working through just getting rid of stuff, which, you know, decluttering at the speed of life has that whole entire process in there. And I talk about it in my podcast as well. That's one of your books. So we want want to make sure that listeners understand. So you've got decluttering at the speed of life and, and how to manage your home without losing your mind. And that's the one I wrote first. And that is the one I recommend if people just look around their house and think, I don't get this. Everybody else seems to understand how to keep their house under control and I don't get it. And that one, it does have decluttering in it because that's a big part of managing your home without losing your mind. But it also talks a lot about the habits, the individual, you know, like what will actually move me forward. And that's the the dishes and the laundry. And I go into a lot of the, why is it that I resist these mundane things? And how do I break through that resistance, that personal resistance that I have? And so that is the one, if you just, if you're completely overwhelmed with everything in your home, that's the one I recommend to start with and start with doing the dishes. Like if you're not going to read the book, just do your dishes every single day, because I didn't understand what doing the dishes actually meant. It's that time passage awareness disorder. Plus the fact that I would wait until they piled up and I didn't have any clean dishes left. And then it would take me an hour, two hours, three hours to do the dishes. So I thought that's what doing the dishes meant when I do them every day and it takes 10 to 15 minutes to do the dishes. Yes. I gain a real concept of, oh, okay. That's why other people aren't completely overwhelmed when the idea of cleaning your kitchen comes up, you know, start with doing the dishes or a black trash bag or both. (laughs) Okay. All right. I like the black trash bag idea because you're right people will be picking. They'll be picking right out of that see-through bag. 
Yeah. So let's switch gears a little bit. Okay. Um, I'd really like to know your experience with podcasting. You sure. know, you, you had done a blog uh, and you were successfully. What made you decide to go to the podcast route? And what do you think is the most important thing you've learned in the process of podcasting? Well, I had been blogging, I think it all runs together at this point, but I think I had been blogging for two or three years at the point when I went to a blogging conference, which I'd been to, I went to every year, basically. But I sat in this session. I didn't really love the session, I'll be honest. But Mm -hmm. she said one thing that really affected me. And that was, she said, you don't have a blog, you have a message. And there are people who are never going to read a blog, YouTube videos, podcasts, it's not a matter of coming up with new content to make, you know, cause that's what I'd always thought. I'm like, what would I put in a podcast or a video that would make my blog readers go watch that video or listen to that podcast? That's how I thought of things. Mm-hmm. And instead she said, no, take your same message that's in your blog and put it into your podcast. You know, take that same message because it's the message. It's just a different format. And when I realized that I, I wanted to, you know, that's when I started doing YouTube videos. That's when I started looking into podcasting. Podcasting took me a little bit longer because, you know, the learning curve and it was overwhelming and I didn't know anything about how to go about it. Then at that same conference, maybe a year or two later, I mean, I literally, I think I, I took a course, which I don't know that it's available anymore, but I literally went through this video course that I'd gotten from someone and I would, he would say to do this and I would pause it and I would go do that. And then I would watch a little bit more and he would tell me something to do and I would pause it and I would go do that until I got it set up. And I had never listened to a podcast before I started my podcast, which I don't (laughs) recommend. (laughs) That is a little backwards. Yeah. Yeah. I don't recommend that, but I, I just kind of jumped into it. Not, I just thought it sounded like this is another way to share my message. And It sounded fun. And so I did it. I I did not know the impact that it would have. You know, Cecilia, we were talking beforehand just about that one-on-one impact of a podcast when you're talking into someone's ear for 30 minutes. It's very personal. And so while it feels funny to say it about myself, when you create a, a brand online, which is what ultimately has developed from all this stuff that I've done, super fans are are gold. You know, I mean, they they are because they're the people who are going to share your stuff. They're going to read everything that you write. They're going to listen to everything you, you know, they're, they're the people who really, I don't know if you've ever heard of that article, a thousand true fans, you know, you don't need to reach the entire country. You just need to have a core group of people who are going to listen to and support what you do. Yeah. (laughs) Cecilia's clapping. So, but that, that's it. And as much as I had super fans from blogging, podcasting is the thing that creates super fans. And um, again, it feels really weird to say that about yourself because my kids will tell you I am not that special. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, kids do that. But yeah, they're, I, they're I, great for that. You know, I am, I am um, evidence of the whole, the impact that you've had, you know, with your po- podcast on me. I am a total super fan. Like I said, the impact has been amazing. And I, you know, I'm a podcast. I love to read. I love to read blogs, but I just don't have as much time. So the fact that I can listen to your podcast while I'm decluttering, while I'm doing laundry, it, it just makes those things a lot less painful. Yeah. You know, and when I meet people in real life at speaking events or whatever, it's the podcast. 
I mean, it's, it, I would say, you know, 19 out of 20 people are, I, cause I'll ask them, I'm like, so how did you, you know, how do we know each other basically? And, um, it's the podcast. That's the, yeah. those are the people who really have, have a personal relationship with me, you know, even though it's a weird thing and that it's, you know, exponential and all that, but, but yeah, that's, that's where that passion comes in. So one thing we haven't talked about is what you love doing when you're not decluttering, blogging, and podcasting. What makes Dana happy when she's not working? So I saw this question beforehand and I thought, okay, what, you know, I love to read. I'll be real honest, even though I write nonfiction, I'm a fiction reader big time. I I love my Kindle so much, but I did also think about what kind of jazzes me and gets me going. And it's something I don't get to do all the time. And so when I do it, I realize, oh, this is what gets my blood flowing. And that is, you know, I was a theater arts teacher. And so I don't have the opportunity to do that on a very consistent basis, but I do. I help out with some things, you know, at some of the schools and, you know, if the choir teacher, whatever needs me, I'll help choreograph something or, you know, working at my church and things. And when I do that in those moments, I realize this is me. Like this is my happy place. Yeah. That jazzes me big time. I'm not surprised to hear that because that definitely comes through, you know, in your podcast as you've talked about different, you know, things that you've worked on and your passion for doing that and, you know, how that really suits your project brain start to finish. And then, like you said, hearing the, hearing the applause. And the being done. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Boom. Done. Dishes are never done. (laughs) We always ask our guests at least one surprise question, something we haven't fully vetted out beforehand gotten a little nicer about it. We answer it for ourselves first before we expect you to, because we're allowing you to think. Okay. Uh, And I have selected a question from the um, previous one. And this is going to be my fill in the blank one. If you had an unlimited supply of dessert, (laughs) what would it be and why? Y'all are going first, right? Mm -hmm. We're going first. So Cecilia, that means you. So if I could have an unlimited dessert, it would be the world's best tiramisu. If it was a nice tiramisu, I love the mascarpone cream of it all. It would be fluffy. It would be wonderful. It would be marvelous. Oh, yeah. And the the, the side note is this. You would never gain another pound. The calories okay. would not count. Okay. Well, that <laughs> is what I need. <laughs> All right. I, I was hoping for the other questions, Cecilia. I, I had a, such a good answer for that one, but no, we'll get to it next time. Um, I am going to say something really weird. I would love an endless supply of tapioca pudding. My mom used to make that for me every time I went to visit, you know, when I was a kid and then when I would go to visit. And for me, that's just that perfectly soothing. I love it warm. Not a, I'm not a cold dessert person at all. So I love it warm. Yeah, that's what it'd be. Tapioca. Not with those big, big tapioca things, you know, just with the nice normal, normal size ones. So that's 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 what I'd have. Dana? So I'm allergic to chocolate. So I always feel like when we talk about desserts, I have to make that clear because I wasn't always allergic. I developed it in my early twenties. So Ooh. um <laughs> Before that, I would have had a different answer. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a very unfortunate um, allergy to have. Yes, it is. But I would say ice cream. I mean, I I'm an ice cream fanatic. Like, yeah, <laughs> that's that's my that's my thing. Any Especially if we're talking flavor? about the. You know, I like I like ice cream with stuff in it. You know, like the pralines or. Yeah. Um, All right. 
I mean, I'm not a fan of chewing. I don't like, I'm not chewing when I have ice cream. I just want to like, do. I love that. I love Ben and Jerry's has a, um, it's like a, I don't even know what it's called, but it's, it's a lower calorie one. So, you know, I can pretend like it's healthier, but it's like a caramel cookie kind of a, you know, I, I like mm-hmm. stuff in my ice cream. So that's mm-hmm. Now I'm, now I'm hungry. Now I really am going to have to make some tapioca, I think. Yeah. That kind of will do it for uh, this uh, episode of the Tent Podcast. What a we fun like, one. It was a great one. This was a great episode. Uh, we'd like to on. thank Dana for joining us today. And to our listeners out there, we know you have a bunch of podcasts you could be listening to. So we appreciate the time you took to spend with us. We hope you'll add us your must-listen queue of podcasts. And of course, we'd love to hear your feedback. What works? What doesn't? What would you like to hear about in our next episode? We encourage you to email us at ngtentpodcast at netup.com with your comments and your questions. Thanks again for listening. And that's it. Okay. <laughs> I, I leave out the and that's Boom. it part, but you know. That's it. <laughs>